Thank you, Randy. Thank you, worship team. Good morning again. There's a lot more of you now. And some of you got closer. Thank you for doing that. I, I, I hate, I'm very needy. I don't like to be up here all alone and you're all in the distance. Hey, if you're online, um, you can get the sermon notes. If you did not get a copy of the sermon notes, raise your hand and uh, we'll get one for you. Uh, if you're online, you can get them in the messenger section. Anybody need one? There's one there. One over here. Anybody else? It took me a long time to do these. You better have them. Ah, okay. Give me a second here. Take notes of who moved up. It's not so much that you get brownie points for moving up, it's what happens to those that didn't. <laughs> so like I said, today we begin a brand new series. Um, and that doesn't mean, as I said earlier, that transformation is over. Transformation, remember the, the verse? Transformation is all about an attitude of the mind, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's an ongoing state. And this is going to fit right into that whole transformed mentality. But here we are, and I'm ready for the next stage of transformed, and uh, I'm ready for a Bible study. Are you ready for a Bible study? I mean, I like the topical stuff, but sometimes I just want to get into a Bible study. So we're going to do a walk with Jesus, and uh, mostly it's going to be based out of the Gospel of Luke. Now, I want to tell you, and it's Walk with Jesus, WWJ 21, 2021 is what I've called it. And I think we're ready for a Bible study. So, oh, what's wrong with my pointer here? I've knocked everything out. I'll have to actually touch it with my hand. How disgusting. So we're going to take a walk with Jesus. I love, you know, I do one of these every couple of years. I love the Gospels. And, and I love the idea of, of being with Jesus. You most, most of you know me. I mean, if I want quiet time, I go out to the lake. And I like to go out there on my own and oftentimes without any agenda. And, and I just let my mind go. And I just imagine, you know, what would it be like to be on the shores of the Sea of Galilee back in Jesus' day and, and listening to Jesus talk and, and listening to him teach? I think it would just be incredible. So I want to kind of set the series up here and give you some facts about the Gospels. Now, I want you to bear with me for a moment, because some of these things you know, but I think I'm going to share a couple of things with you that I doubt that anybody in here knows. So um, be ready. So, that, so the, the Greek word for Gospel means good news in English. It's right on your outline there. It means good news in English. So all four of these history books, the first four books of the Bible, of the, of the New Testament, are history books. Uh, they're all about the good news of Jesus Christ. They're about the life of Christ. It's four different accounts of the same event. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call complementary accounts. So that's a blank you've got on there. They are complementary accounts of Christ's life. That means that they kind of share the same information. There's a lot of duplication in there. Um, they complement one another. John's gospel is totally separate. It's what we call a supplemental account. So you've got these three key Gospels, and then John is a sort of and also. And it's very different from the other three. There's not much crossover between John's Gospel and the complementary Gospels. Now, here's something that you might not know. 
Theologians estimate that when you look at the information that we've got in the four Gospels of Jesus, if you, if you look at it chronologically and you match up all the things that are the same event, we actually only have about 51 days of Jesus' earthly ministry. 51 days. Now, think about that for a second. Jesus lived to be 33 years old, and of those 33 years, three years, the last three years, were her, was his ministry years on, on earth. Well, three years is about 1,000 days, a little over 1,000 days. So if you do the math, you've got 1,000 days, we've got 51 days. That means that we have less than 5% of the time that Jesus was on earth recorded and documented. Now think about that. That means that 95% of what all that Jesus did, all that he said, all that he taught, we have no record of it. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I, you know, I thought, wow, that's... Now, why is that? Well, if you go back to the day, it was a very, very simple time. Not like it is today. Today, we live in the electronic age. Information is... We have people in England watching us. It's instant. Jesus didn't have a group of people following him around with a phone uploading it to TikTok. You know, as it happens, it's being uploaded. He didn't have anybody following him around with an iPad recording it or even a pen and paper recording it. He wasn't a significant person. He wasn't a dignitary or, or an educated man. There was no reason for him to have drawn any attention that there would be people following him around, writing down what he's doing, what he's saying. Now, nearly all of the, the, the stuff that, that we read in the Gospels was all written after the fact, after Jesus had, had passed on and come back to life and ascended up into heaven. None of this stuff was written until after that. Now, you think about Jesus' followers. I did a little bit of research here. So Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they were all fishermen, probably not educated. Matthew was a tax collector, so almost certainly he was an educated man. Simon, the one who was called Simon the Zealot, a zealot, he, he was kind of a revolutionary, probably an educated man. Judas, the treasurer took care of the money, probably an educated person, but they're not listening to anything that Judas wrote. He was the betrayer. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, James, we have no information on what they did. They might have been educated. They may not have been educated. So these were just a bunch of ordinary guys that were hanging out with Jesus. They weren't journalists. They weren't writers. They weren't historians. And they weren't recording it. After the fact, Matthew is an eyewitness account after the fact Matthew decided to write down what he remembered of his time with Jesus. Mark is not an eyewitness account. It was written by uh, Mark who came afterwards. He was a friend of Paul's. Luke, the one that we're looking, is not an eyewitness account. John is. So you got Mark, you got Matthew and John are eyewitness accounts. Mark and Luke are not eyewitness accounts. Now, <laughs> I've got to make sure I'm not leaving out any of your blanks here. Yeah, you'll get me afterwards. Matthew, we think, was written around 58 AD, so 20 or so years after Jesus had passed on. 
John was the last one, and that was written between 80 and 90 AD, both eyewitness accounts. And Mark, 98% of the Gospel of Mark is straight from Matthew. He used Matthew's account as his research. That's why when you read Mark, you'll find a lot of the verses are verse for verse identical to what you read in Matthew. That's because he used Matthew as his research. But he kind of condensed it. He's, Mark did it. He, it's like the gospel on caffeine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus was born. He's a really good guy. Yeah, then they killed him, came to life again. What should we talk about now? <laughs> to give you a clue, this is how much on caffeine it is. The first four chapters of Luke, Mark does in the first 15 verses of his account. So some of the stuff we're looking at, Mark covered in verse 3. You know, <laughs> it's like, boom. Now, what I like about Luke, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician and he was a a historian. And he did a careful account of the life of Christ. Now, he used Matthew for research. He used a little bit of Mark for research. And he also used another source that we call Q. Yeah, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Can you imagine that conversation? Where would you get your information? Q. Okay. (laughs) We don't know anything about Q. We have no documents of Q. We just know from from the way that Luke is written that he's got information from this source and information from some other source. And somebody decided to call it Q. There is a reason for that. I can't remember that. But that's one of the reasons I like Luke, because there's stuff in Luke that you don't have in Matthew, you don't have in Mark, you don't have in John. Because he's got this other resource that he's using, and it's meaty. It's very detailed. I like, I like, it's probably my favorite gospel. Luke, Luke and John are my favorite gospels. So we're going to dive into this. Now, to kick us off, I want us to look at an event that's right near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And for me, it's one of those that, that kind of sets the tone for all the rest of Jesus' ministry. All right? Now, if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. And I'm using the New Living Translation. Now, to give you a little context, the first three chapters of Luke are the birth of Christ. Then the first part of this chapter is the temptation of Christ. And then Luke goes right from the temptation of Christ to this event in Nazareth. Now, here's where the Gospels are rich. Matthew, John, and Mark all have a whole bunch of events in between the temptation of Christ and this event that Luke simply didn't put in there. So Jesus has been around. He's not new, even though it seems new in Luke's account. He's been around. He's been performing miracles. They all know about his teaching. Everybody knows about Jesus. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So he's been down in Judea where Jerusalem is. He's, it gets too difficult for him down there. Right away, the people don't like him. The Pharisees don't like him. His life is in danger. He, I'm going back up to Galilee. It's about 100 or so miles north. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So when Jesus was coming to town, they, they used to have this kind of thing that w- when they gathered in the synagogue, if somebody of note was there, they would invite them to come up and speak. 
So anytime Jesus came into town, like, Jesus is here. Let's go, let's go to the synagogue. Jesus is here. Hey, Jesus, would you come up and teach us? And everybody's hearing about it. And he's healing people. He's doing stuff. And it's like, wow, it's, there's an excitement. He taught regularly in the, their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now, we all know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt, came back to Nazareth, and he grew up in Nazareth as a boy. But in his adult years, Jesus leaves Nazareth and he, Nazareth, and he makes Capernaum his home, which is kind of on the north side of the lake. That's where he meets most of his disciples. But now he's, he's on tour in Galilee, and he heads back to Nazareth. And there's a tension in the air. There's an excitement. Jesus is here. Everybody's heard the stories. They, they've heard about his powerful teaching, his healing. The news has gone ahead of him. Now he's coming back to his boyhood town. Now it would seem initially that they don't connect the dots that this Jesus is the same Jesus that grew up in town here. They've heard of Jesus. They've heard of all this. But there seems, it, it seems in the scripture that there's a dotted line. It's like, oh, didn't realize. But they will get to realize. Verse 17, it says, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He, prob- he asked for it. Give me Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, this is very important. I love what Jesus does here. He finds this passage of Scripture that's written in first person. It's like he's saying it about himself. And that's what they're all wondering as he's reading it. Is he talking about himself or is he just reading the Scripture? picks this passage of scripture. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is from, in our Bibles, Isaiah chapter 61. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. I mean, this this is kind of drama, right? He gets up there, Isaiah, He unrolls it. He reads this passage of Scripture. Sounds like he's talking about himself. Rolls it up. Gives it back to the guy. Goes and sits down. What's everybody doing? They're all looking at him, right? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak. The Scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It's like, boom, there it is. I am the fulfillment of this scripture. Now just imagine, now try and put yourself back there. What if Jesus' second coming wasn't the way that we thought that it was going to be with lights in the sky and everything else? And some person that says, I'm Jesus, comes in here, reads a scripture, sits down and says, that's me. What are you going to think? No, it's not. (laughs) You're nuts. That's not you. But initially, they they like this good news. They're living in in Galilee. The whole world that they know of has been taken over by the, the Romans. They're the occupying force. Their own rulers are just rulers that the Romans have put in place. They all serve the Romans. 
They've got a level of freedom, but they're kind of like prisoners in their own country. And they've been waiting for someone to come and set them free. There's, it's promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah, the chosen one, is going to come and set Israel free. So Jesus comes in. He's been walking around. He's been doing miracles. He's been doing things. He comes into Nazareth, hometown. Says, this is me. And initially it's like, yeah, Jesus. They love it. Verse 22, it says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. So there might have been some other teaching there. Now, remember, we only got 5%. 95% we don't have. So there probably was a lot more discourse that went on there. But here's the strange thing. No sooner do they accept this word from G- Jesus than doubts step in. It says, how can this be? They asked. Isn't that Joseph's boy? He lived in town here. It's, like, it's the carpenter's kid. Remember when he came to fix the door with his dad? No, this can't be. Who does he think he is? We see that even now, don't you? Have, have you ever met those people? Sometimes people, you'll see a pastor do a powerful sermon and he'll tell about Jesus Christ, Billy Graham type thing, you know, and people will come forward. Yeah, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. And initially it's excitement. Yeah, I want Jesus. And then three weeks later, they're back to their old life again because it was an emotional response and something inside of them just told them it was not real. That's just, that's not really it. How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus says, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physicians, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Now, that saying was a famous, it was a well-known saying. And it it means the same kind of thing as, um, oh, What's that saying we've got here? Charity begins at home. In other words, why are you going, if, if you're really the chosen one, how come you're doing miracles everywhere else, but you're not doing any miracles in our town? Now, what's missing in Luke? There's a, a little section missing in Luke. So if, you, if we go to Matthew chapter 13, the same account fills in the blanks a little bit. It says, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here amongst us. So Jesus had a family. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And this is the key here. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. So they're expecting Jesus to do miracles. He's not doing miracles. And the reason he's not doing miracles is not because he doesn't want to, but because their disbelief affects his ability to perform the miracles in their lives. And this is one of your blanks here. The power of Jesus is limited by a lack of faith and disbelief. Jesus could have done it. Jesus can do whatever he wants. But he set things up in such a way that, that, that the power of Jesus is experienced in our lives based on our desire and our willingness to believe and have faith, to trust in him. 
And as you begin to open your heart to Jesus, his power comes alive in your life. All right, back to, back to Luke here. Jesus now adds absolute insult to injury. All the way through his ministry, he did this kind of stuff. He says, certainly. So they're all like, oh, you're not Jesus. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elisha's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarapetha, or wherever, in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one he healed was Naaman, the Syrian. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's really insulting them. They all know who Elisha and Elijah are. I mean, these are probably the two, for me, the two best-known prophets of the Old Testament. There's so much written on them, and their lives are... I just love reading about Elisha and Elijah. And, and Jesus is recounting two accounts when miracles were performed on behalf of people who were not God's people. So you see, God's people... The Jewish people, his chosen people, considered themselves to be special. They were the guardians of his word. And they did a good job guarding his word. It, we wouldn't have our Bible if it wasn't for the Jewish people. But there was this mentality that, that we are God's people, therefore we are the chosen people. And if God's going to do something, he's going to do it to us and not to those Gentiles and those other people out there. They don't get it. We get it. Now, Jesus comes along, and he's bringing a brand new ministry. He says, I've come to set people free. I've come to, to, to free the slaves and proclaim the Lord's good news. And guess what? It's not just for you guys. It's for anybody. And they're like, what? You can't even perform miracles in our town, and you're telling us that you're going to go to some foreigner town and perform miracles and do things over there? And they are incensed at him. It says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. Now, just put yourself there. Just imagine. So we got this person comes in, somebody that's lived in the colony. We all kind of know him. Reads the scripture, sits down, says, that's me. And everybody's angry, but they're angry to the point where they drag him out. They're probably beating him as they go. Yeah. Take him up to the edge of the hill. We're going to throw him off and kill him. It's pretty dramatic. But I love this. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. It wasn't his time. You go three years later and he allows Pontius Pilate and, and all of the Romans to nail him to a cross. But this wasn't his time. And he even told Pilate, at any minute, I could call an, a legion of angels and end all of this. But he told Pilate, I give you my life willingly. But can you imagine what must it have been like? For them, they drag him out of the synagogue. They take him across town. Now, if you, you don't, but if you did know any of the geography of, of Nazareth, there's no cliff right in Nazareth. You kind of got to go about a mile and a half out of town. So they take him all the way up there. He's on the edge of the cliff. They're going to push him over. And all of a sudden, he just turns around. 
and walks through the crowd. And everybody's thinking, why don't we push him over? But nobody's doing it. Nobody knows why. They can't do it. They can't do it. It's incredible. So here's the thing. Right at the onset of his ministry, Jesus is making a proclamation. I am from God. You need to know, I am from God. I just read this scripture to you and I told you that today this is fulfilled. I am from God. I've got good news. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to proclaim the year of of the Lord's favor. And it's not just for you. It's for everybody. Not a selected few. Not a chosen few. The, the, The weirdest thing about this whole thing with Jesus is that he is exclusively inclusive. Exclusively inclusive. So let me explain that. If you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 14. This is three years later. This is at the other end of his ministry now. It's going to be up on the screen. We're looking at verses 1 to 12. So he's been sitting with his disciples, telling them everything that's going to happen in this little upper room. It's tense again. And they know, they're beginning to get it. Jesus has told them, I'm going, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me. And they're troubled. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Clue phone. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So there's been a conversation that we don't have, 95%, we don't have. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. I love this dialogue. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas pipes up. No, we don't. (laughs) No, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me in these three years, Thomas, that you've been with me, seeing these miracles and everything else I did, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's not pulling any punches here, Jesus. He's letting them know plainly. Philip said, so now someone else chimes up, chimes in, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough. If you could just bring God down into the room here, we'll be good. And Jesus looks at me and says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father's who lives in me. But my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Just believe it. Accept it. Or at least... Believe because of the work you have seen me do. All of these miracles. John makes a point of calling them signs. He performs signs. I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. What a great dialogue. Now, Jesus didn't say, I'm one way or I'm a way. He said, I am the way. It was exclusive. There is no other way. I am the way. Now, just as those people back in Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry was offended at what he said, people are still offended at Jesus' words. This is one of the things that, that when I have conversations with people who are wondering about Jesus, they find this most offensive. How can you tell me that your way is the only way and there are not other ways? Who do you think you are that you think you know the truth and that your truth is exclusive and that the only way to God is through this Jesus Christ? Surely there are lots of ways. People find this offensive. What right do you have to think that way? Surely there are many paths to God. I had a conversation with someone recently over this. It was like a two-hour conversation at Starbucks. How can you believe that you are exclusively right and that Jesus is the only way? Did he really exist? And if he really existed, did he really say that? And if he existed and he really said that, is it true? It's a funny thing. Nobody doubts the existence of Julius Caesar. Nobody doubts the existence of Plato or or Aristotle or any of those philosophers from antiquity around the same time as Jesus. Nobody doubts their existence. And yet compared to them, the evidence for Jesus Christ is overwhelming. Let me give you an example here. Let me show you. I need two volunteers. Um, Let me just think of people that are going to volunteer. Robin and Jane. You don't have to say anything. This is really easy. Really easy. Trust me. I need two more, so don't laugh too loud. Come on up. Come on up. I promise you, you're not going to have to do anything. You just have to stand here. So, Robin, you're Julius Caesar. You're going to stand over there. Jane, come on up. You're not Jesus. That's the next two people. So go, no, no, you stay here. You go as close to that wall as you can. You're going to come about here. So this is a timeline. There's, there's Julius Caesar. These are the oldest known manuscripts. That's not very nice, is it? <laughs> the oldest known manuscripts that we have of Julius Caesar. Now you'll see there's a timeline gap. I'm over here. I'm in the present day. The timeline gap between, between Julius Caesar and the oldest known manuscripts we have is about 100 or 200 years. Actually, no, they, weren't, they were written 100 years after Julius Caesar lived. And then paper has this weird papyrus. It rots. We don't have any ancient manuscripts from back in those days of, of any books because they, they just don't last that long. But somewhere there are a few, but there's a big gap between Robin and Jane and Jane and me. Now, the other thing you've got to consider, and I'm going to set you free in a second. There are only about 12 of them. There are only 12 Janes between Julius Caesar 
and me. Okay? You may sit there. <laughs> Thank you, she says. I need two more volunteers. Ah, oh, yes. You don't want to volunteer, do you? Come on up. Come on up. <laughs> Amy and, 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 and Keith. He thought he was going to get away with it. Keith, you get to be, you can sit down. I'm trying to spread the misery. Keith is going to represent Jesus. Can you go hold his hand? The nearest manuscripts that we have of Jesus was written by someone who was with Jesus. Not a hundred years later. They were with Jesus. Now, I'm all the way back here. Paper rots, right? We don't have any of the original manuscripts. Can you come this way a little bit, Amy? Leave his hand alone. Yeah, about there. About there. The oldest manuscripts that we have go back to about 50 or 60 years to the event. Now, here's the difference. We had Julius Caesar... And we had Jane, and there'd be about 12 Janes. How many Amys do you think we have? Twelve? Four? You can sit there. Thousands. Thousands. There's not enough people in this room. You may sit there. There's not enough people in this room to fill this 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 stage for the number of manuscripts that we have through antiquity that verify the existence of Jesus Christ. Now, they're not all this old, but there are so many copies because it was, it, it was such a big thing. And people were writing about it. When Matthew wrote his, people are writing copies of Matthew. They're sending it to this church and that church. And then when Mark wrote his, they're sending it to this church, that church, Luke, John. So we've got hundreds and hundreds of these manuscripts that have been copied and copied and handed down. Now, how accurate are they? I mean, you know, we've all played that game. I don't know what it's called. Somebody whispers something, it goes around the room, and what's it called? Telephone Telephone game. You know, it starts off, I was born in 1956, and it comes back, Ronald Reagan is dead. You know, like, (laughs) how did it get changed? Here's the one thing that we can thank the Jewish people for. They were fastidious in the way that they transcribed documents. Now, this went into the Greek church. It went into the Latin church. But they were fastidious. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls back in 1940-something, they had opportunity to look at some of the manuscripts from the Old Testament, some of the manuscripts from the New Testament, and compare them. They much The, the ones from the Dead Sea Scrolls predated a lot of the ones we had, and check them, and they were almost word for word identical. All right. Think about this, too. Julius Caesar was a powerful man. He was the emperor of the largest empire the world had ever known. That's why everybody believes that Julius Caesar existed, because he's a big deal. There's coins. We've got coins. Jesus was a nobody. 
He was a simple man from a simple place. If it wasn't for Jesus, none of us would have heard of Nazareth or Galilee. Why would we have? He had simple men around him. Julius Caesar probably had hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people under his control. Jesus had 12, and one of them sold him out to to be executed. So he had 11. Now, here's what gets me about this. And this is where I want to set this up. And And I just love the Gospels, and I love Jesus, and I love all of this stuff. Something happened 2,000 years ago. I call it a ripple. Sometimes I'm sitting out at the lake and it's quiet and you hear splash. It's probably a bird gone into the water. And you look up, you don't see the bird. But you can see the evidence, the ripples of where that bird entered the water. 95% of what happened back in Jesus' time, we don't know. But we know something happened. Because 2,000 years later, we're here talking about it. 2,000 years later, 2.3 billion people on this planet, on this day, are talking about it. The weird thing is, Caesar is a name we give our dogs now. We're still talking about Jesus. Something happened back there. There, there, there. Something happened that was so powerful that it created a ripple. Now, it wasn't a big ripple, but it was a powerful ripple. So powerful that it couldn't be stopped. They wanted to stop it in Nazareth. Throw him over the cliff. They couldn't stop it. He just walked through them. (laughs) And now here in this upper room, Jesus makes these incredible claims. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And at first, those 11 men in the room from that dialogue, we can tell they didn't get it. It's like they're arguing with Jesus. I mean, it's just incredible, isn't it? Jesus is telling them what's going to happen, and they're arguing with him. What do you mean, Jesus? We don't know the way. Show us God. (laughs) He He said, the Father and I are one. Give us some evidence. And this is what makes my, the hairs on my arms stand up. That, that, that sometimes missed in that little passage of Scripture in John 14. Here's what Jesus said to them. He said, you will be the evidence. The way people will know that I existed is not because of the histority, histori- historicity of me or the documents that are written or anything else that happened. You will be the evidence of my existence. He said, whoever follows me will do what I have done on more, right? You will be the evidence. And when they finally got it, they didn't get it right then, but when they finally got it, that ripple began to build. 
You see, normally a ripple disappears, right? You, you're sitting out there, you hear bloop, you see it go, you see a circle, especially if it's calm, and it just dissipates into the water. But 2,000 years ago, something happened, and that ripple has been growing and growing and growing and growing, and now it's a tidal wave. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did Jesus exist? The evidence is overwhelming. 2.3 billion. Is it true that he said those things? The evidence is overwhelming. He is the truth. Is he really the source of life? The evidence is overwhelming by the lives that are changed. And what is the evidence for these things? You are. You are the evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ. I am the evidence. The greatest evidence for the reality of Christ's claim is your changed life. That's in your... The greatest evidence for the reality of Christ's claims is your changed life. This is continuation of transformation. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. And I will empower you. All right, let me close this up. You know, people, people believe what they want to believe. We believe what we want to believe. Everybody believes what they want to believe. You, you look for the evidence to support what you want to be, believe, and you go with it. If you want to believe in evolution, you've got evidence for evolution. You want to believe in Jesus, you've got evidence for Jesus. You want to believe in Buddha, you'll find some evidence for Buddha. People believe what they want to believe, regardless of the truth. You can deny Jesus, but you cannot deny the effect of Jesus. It's difficult to deny the power of Jesus in the lives of his followers. But in order for people of the world to know that, and here's your last three blanks, we must believe it. We must live it, and we must share it. Let me tell you something. Every single person who is a follower of Christ is a witness for Christ. Some are good witnesses. Some are bad witnesses. But every single one is a witness. You want to know what kind of witness you are? Ask those people around you who are closest to you. Do you see Jesus in my life? Do you see the effect of Jesus in my life? Or is it a Sunday morning thing? Is it if other people are there? What's the reality of my life? Am I believing it? Am I living it? Am I sharing it? I share it by the way I live. If you were to go to your, your closest friend who's not a churchgoer, who doesn't believe what you believe, would they see that Jesus or something is in your life that is a witness to the power of Christ? Or would they be kind of, I don't know about this Jesus. Not really seeing that. You got to believe it. You got to live it. You got to share it.
Jesus is the way. He is your way to peace. He is your way to hope. He is your way to home. He is a light for your way. He is the word. Thy word is a light to my path and a li- Thy word is a light to my path and a lamp unto my way. And he's not just some way, he's Yahweh. And that's the truth. It's not a truth. It's the truth. It's not a kind of truth. It is the truth. And when you grasp this truth, He is life. He is your life. He is your life here today. He is your life in the hereafter. He is the one that gives you power to get out of bed. He is the one who energizes your life. He is the one who gives you purpose. When you grasp hold of those truths. All right, I'm going to close it down there. Is that good? Close it down there? Would you want the chapter? (laughs) Now the truth will be known. Is he your way? (laughs) No. I'm going to close it down there. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the Gospels. For these four accounts of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the the path ahead of us, Father, as we go for a walk with Jesus. Father, he made amazing claims. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to you, Lord. Nobody comes to you, Father, except through Jesus. He is exclusive, but he is completely inclusive that anybody who chooses to believe in Him and trust Him can know you. It's not how good you are, how bad you are. It's not how often you come to church. It's not if you help little old ladies cross the road or how often you read your Bible or you pray. Do you know Jesus? Did you trust Jesus? Is he your way? Is he your truth? Is he your life? And if you've never come to that place in your spiritual walk where you have asked Jesus to come into your life, you can do it really simply right now. It's not rocket science. You can just pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my way. I want you to be my truth. I want you to be my life. Help me to trust in you. And it's that simple. And no matter where you're at in your spiritual walk, there's always another step. And he is your way. Father, help us to take the next step. Help us to be faithful to you. Father, help us to live it, believe it, and share it. That all who come to us, all who know us, all who meet us would know that you are our king and that you live in our lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of announcements for you. 
Um, 101. Immediately following this service, we're having our 101. That's our Lakeway membership class. And it teaches what this church is all about. If, if you have been coming here and it's kind of like, you know what? I, th- I think this church is my home. This is the class for you. If you didn't sign up for it, you can go. We are going to provide lunch for you. So you have no excuse. And uh, it, it just tells you what it's, what it's all about to be a part of this church. And it's a commitment. I mean, Jesus came and he bought the church. He said, if, if you're my follower, you need to be following in my church. And we're part of his church. So if you've never taken 101, I invite you to come today. It's going to be down that hallway, second to last door on the right. And uh, Mo and Randy are going to lead that for us. So you can sign up for that. We have Vacation Bible School coming up on July the 18th. If you go out in the foyer, we've got some supplies. We still need some more um, Libby is out there, and she will let you know what we need. If you want to sign your kids up, I love this technology stuff we're getting into. We have these young people that know this stuff. We have, what's that called? QR code. There's a QR code out there. You can go out with your phone and register for VBS. It will also be on the website. But go out and see.